you know, as hygienists, we have, uh, as a profession, we have struggled a lot, not just in our state, but nationally with being recognized as a profession and being recognized for the education that we have. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, we can be empathetic with the same pursuit of professional identity that dental assistants are wanting. Mm -hmm. And, and again, it just really comes down to education. And knowing that, you know, just because a dental assistant knows how to give an injection does not mean that your job is in jeopardy. Right. What it, what it means is that now that frees you up to spend more time with your hygiene patient instead of having to hop back and forth between the hygiene and the doctor side to, to help the doctor out. Or it means that when the doctor comes in to do an exam that you don't, you know, maybe you don't have to go do a injection for the doctor, you actually get to go and take a break. If somebody else is there to do the exam with the doctor or, you know, it, it it frees things up Mm -hmm. and it, it's, it's okay. Yeah. 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 But I would say, you know, you really, you really have to stress the education behind it. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause, uh, I don't think every DA would have the capability of giving anesthetic. Right. And they don't either. So yeah. Yeah. Right. That's very, very true. And just same thing with restorative, right? Not every hygienist has the desire or capability to create a beautiful restoration. Mm-hmm. But going through the process and learning how to mm-hmm. do it allows you to educate the patient in a broader and more fulfilling educational process of what their needs are. And so even if a dental assistant doesn't necessarily want to give or is licensed to give the injection, they can truly understand what the whole process is and be able to prepare the patient and reduce the patient's anxiety about the process because they know about Mm -hmm. the whole thing. Right, right. So is there going to be a time when assistants are going to be able to give anesthetic or is there any states that allow that? My understanding, there isn't anything yet. However, and you know, April, you probably can speak to this better. My understanding is that in oral surgery, oral surgery assistants go through a specialized training for anesthesia and anesthesia monitoring. And I believe it's more general anesthesia, not local anesthesia. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. That's, I know, I don't say it's exclusive to Oregon, but my home state's Michigan, and that wasn't the case here. Yeah, you can take a course to be certified and helping with general anesthesia. Yeah, but it is, it's a course, you have to go through certification and then there's continuing education requirements for it as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, my name is Tina Clark and I've been a hygienist here in the state of Oregon for about 20 years. I graduated from OHSU, Oregon Health Science University back in 2001 and uh, began my private practice clinical career pretty much right after. Uh, it was actually a, a lot of fun. I did full-time clinical practice for six years. And during that time, I started getting antsy, thinking there's more for me in this career. There's more that I can do. And because of my engagement and involvement with the professional association, the Oregon Dental Hygienist Association, I had met women uh, throughout the state that I knew of all these different opportunities and one of them came to me and said, hey, I heard that Lane Community College is hiring 
uh, a hygienist, they're needing somebody to run a distance site learning program. And through my lifetime, I've had people say, oh, Tina, you should become a teacher, you should become a teacher. And so I figured, hey, what the heck? You know, I'm gonna give it a try, just see what it's like. And so I applied for the position, uh, having zero, zero, zero educational uh, experience at all. And did the interview and on my drive home, they called and said, hey, we want to hire you. And then that kind of began my educational career. So I did full-time clinical practice for six years and then in 2007 became a full-time dental hygiene educator teaching five students at this small little distance site. And at the same time was doing clinical practice at the, at, all together. And when I started teaching, I realized that while I was very seasoned in my thought process, I mean, six years in the field really isn't that long, but I, I thought I knew all of these things. But when I started to teach, I was like, oh, gosh, I can't believe how much of this I forgot and how quickly it's all fallen out of my head. And so it was one of those moments of I need to brush back up on all of this stuff. And when I started doing that, and I started talking with my other friends who had been doing hygiene for a while, they were saying, yes, I can't believe how much I've forgotten too. And that began my journey then into not just teaching hygiene students, but talking with my friends and peer groups and doing continu continuing education with them. And so over the years, I continued teaching dental hygiene students and then started doing more professional education to dental hygienists and using real life terms because I figured if I had forgotten what some of these things meant and what they were that they probably had forgotten them too and so began my process into that and then in 2019 I decided that uh, I wanted to make a program it was more accessible and easy for everybody to uh, gain the information. And anesthesia had always been my baby. I had taught, I've taught anesthesia for nearly 14 years and had a very high success rate doing it and coaching hygienists, licensed hygienists doing it. And so I said, hey, I'm going to go ahead and create a recorded course that people can sign up for and take at the leisure of their of their life, you know, in their bunny slippers and, you know, a glass of wine or a beer and, and just do it. And so that's kind of how I started Teacher Tina RDH and began this whole process of looking at what is, what else is dental hygiene outside of just in the clinical setting or in the classroom setting. Well, Tina, thanks for uh, telling your story and how you got started in the dental industry. And sounds like, from what you're saying, that teaching and coaching are, is where your passion lies. Oh, would you say that? For sure, absolutely. It's, uh, I think it's a rare gift that people have, and I'm not ashamed to say that I have that gift. And I think that when you identify your gift, you you need to present it, and it's a disservice if you don't. So yeah, I say yes, it is. You may not know, but I taught in the past for about three years and considering, well, I am going to get back into it because that is where my passion lies as well. So I can relate to what you're saying, uh, giving fulfillment out of, you know, getting the students to get that, that get it and, and um, 
passing along the information that you know we're willing to share yeah it really is there's something about when you can take something at, that can be complicated and break it down for somebody else to be able to go oh okay i get it and then they're able to then pass that along for their better uh, patient care experience or even if it's you know that they're able to share what they learned to another classmate it's just there is that fulfillment and when you can create an impact like that you know when you can create that moment for somebody else where they get it you get to see the ripple effects extend out and when you get to see them in their practice and incorporating all of those all those hints and tips and tricks that you taught them and hear their stories about how much patients enjoy working with them then you can go yeah see it's 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 a process it's a legacy and it, it is very fulfilling all right. Well, you guys are boring me with your talk about all this uh, dental stuff. So I'm just going <laughs> to sit back here and uh, crack a beer. Anybody want to have a beer with me? Sounds good. All right. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. What are you drinking, April? Well, I'm going to warn people. This is our Multnomah County Stout. It's barrel aged. Whoa. However, it's about a 14%. It's Woo! a share of a beer for sure. 14 that's like a yeah. straight shot of whiskey. Yeah, so, um, oh wait, I could be wrong. Let me look. I think it's, yeah, it's close to 14. Is that one that you would serve in a short glass because it's so strong? Yes. Yeah, and uh, people could easily get pretty, well, it's noon, Some, you know, it's already past noon, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's okay to say. And, and I got a little bit on my laptop here because, you know, I'm excited to open it. But no, I'll, I'll take a few sips because it could hit pretty quickly <laughs> so so if you're slurring your words it's not because you're numb it's because you're Ooh. beer right so what are you having Tina so um I am not as bold or brave as you April I am kind of a, a wuss when it comes to beer so I go for the very light uh it's more of a wheat so I've got a, a blue moon Belgian white right here and uh, for me to have a beer, it has to be very, very cold and more fruity and very low IBUs. And I might get through a whole beer. So unless, like, you know, unless it's a hot summer day and there's country music playing, that's kind of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's something about that, right? When it's a hot summer day and country music, it just seems like that's what you should have. It goes together and you're on the boat. Right. Yeah, I'm the same way. So I. I love IPAs and I and I do like beer, but I I'm a lightweight as well and having a strong beer, which I know April doesn't normally drink that strong of a stuff. But I found one that is called Wowza and it's Deschutes, which I think is in Bend, right? Yeah. Yeah. In Bend, so it's a, it's a called Wowza and it's a low calorie, so it's 100 calories, which is great, and it's only four percent and four carbs. So it actually tastes good. So I get still get the taste of the IPA, but it's but it's lighter because I don't like Coors Light unless I'm having it for breakfast with some red sauce <laughs> or for, then it's just like water. So I found this one sure in April. If you have anything like this, that's comparable that I could uh, get. It's in the works. Uh, low, great. what do we call it? Not alcohol. You can't, what's that? I said for free since you're the sponsor, right? That's, that's right. <laughs> um, you can't completely make a beer alcohol free, but. Yeah, we're working on it. Oh, I don't want it alcohol free. I'm just talking uh, lighter, well, but, but still have the IPA flavor. Yeah. Kind of like a skinny latte. Yes. Yeah. Or a, um, what do you call it? 
old-fashioned, low-calorie. Yeah, yeah, where yeah. you just, it's its a soda and, you know, a splash of something else. Yes. Right. Yeah. A, keto, a keto version. There you go. A keto beer. Yes, you took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That could be your the, the name for it, right? Your, yeah. Uh, I think you guys should have a special brew for the detail. And then we could uh, get how ideas get started. I know too, too many ideas. Yeah, so so this is this is great. I'm glad to um, crack a beer with you guys. It's been it's been a little while, and yeah, we could bring some we fun back into dentistry. Well, thanks for in inviting me along to have one with you. I appreciate it. Yeah, welcome. So back on the topic of anesthesia and assistance, something that I always thought of is why don't we work to the top of our license? And like you were saying, if if an assistant can do anesthesia or restorations, or a hygienist could do anesthesia and restorations, doctor could do that. Not that I want to give anesthesia for the doctor's patients all the time at all, but they could be doing something bigger and better, you know, more to the top of their license. Mm -hmm. They could be doing more. Um, implants, surgeries, bridges, root canals, anything that we definitely cannot do. And then we could do the easier thing that we can do that's in our scope of practice. So I don't know how that would look, but to me it doesn't make sense that we'd have like the hygienist taking out the garbage or even the assistants taking out the garbage. We should all work to the top of our license and everybody can be brought up and they would be yeah. good patient care. Right, so if everybody is working and fulfilling at the top of their job duties, so job descriptions, then that will allow for, you know, higher production and higher job satisfaction as well, because right. you're like, you're getting to use the knowledge that you have. And, you know, again, we, we as, as professionals can sometimes feel like our toes are going to get stepped on. But if you reshift the thought process and say, Okay, nobody's going to be coming in and, and, and taking this from me, so to speak. It's they're freeing me up to allow me to be able to spend more time with the patient here in my chair and instead of having to run up and down the hall doing that. Now, there are a lot of hygienists that love it. That's what their bread and butter is providing anesthesia for, uh, for the doctors all the time. And, you know, that probably won't go away. And, you know, it's there's still states that are, where hygienists are trying to even get anesthesia. So, you know, I think it's it's a valuable discussion to have, and it's a valuable thought to review, and to be open to that. Yeah, I agree. It's, and I think a lot of that is egos, and just even yeah. with a dentist not wanting us to do certain things, or kind of, to me that doesn't make sense either because we're there to help them. You know, it's everybody's patient. We're there to do better for the patient. And so, and the same with hygienists and assistants, it's, I mean, everybody is there to work together. And assistants, um, they could do so much more than they're, they're allowed to do as well. And so we're really kind of doing everybody a disservice by not, you know, upping everybody's, uh, everybody's game. Right. And, you know, and another thing I think that um, we all need to be aware of in regards to, um, I was talking with a hygienist who is a dental assisting instructor and she's over on the East Coast. And, and she was even saying, she's like, oh my gosh, I totally forgot the reason why we would massage the anesthetic in when we're doing a mental incisive injection. And she's like, now I, I can remind my assisting students that even though they aren't the one giving the injection, there are things that they can do post-injection to follow up with that. And when everybody on the dental team 
understands the processes, then they'll be able to figure out where they can fit into the role. So it may not be like they're the ones actually given the, giving the injection, but they're going to be the ones that are helping to prepare the injection and to do all the post-operative, uh, I guess would be the right term for it, after the injection. Right, even putting the topical on, because they, I'm sure they see it enough, they see the doctor do it all the time, they could, they could probably do it themselves without any training, honestly, but to even know exactly where to put the topical, you know, to know the palpate and where to place it would be a big help, even if that. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, the one of the dental assistants that I work at at the office, one of the offices that I'm at right now. You know, she follows me on on like Facebook, and she was like, Tina, I was watching this one injection you were doing. I can't remember what it was, and she was describing it to me, and I was like, Oh, that's the gal gate. And she goes, Okay, so now I know. She's like, So the doctor's actually giving that injection and not this one. So I really am not putting the topical in the right spot for him. Because she had been putting it lower, but he, she was noticing that he kept inserting higher. And so she was like, oh, now I know. So, Cindy, that's a perfect point. Right. And then knowing that the patient's eye is going to be numb, knowing exactly what nerves are going to be numb, so they can tell the patient if the patient says, is that normal? And they tell the patient, right. yeah, but it's really, they're thinking, probably not, but it is, so they can know exactly what's going to, you know, what's going to be numb. Right. And I think it's important for everybody, not just dental assistants, but even hygienists, mm -hmm. even if you are in a state that you, that doesn't, where hygienists can't give anesthetics, it's still important to understand the whole neural pathways and what's affected and mm -hmm. how to coach and mentor that patient through the process. Because oftentimes I think we can all agree that the doctor is not going to be the first person to address it. They probably will address it, but probably won't be the first person to address it. Right. Right, because the patients communicate more with the um, auxiliary team. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I love that with doing the anesthetic. Like, I would love to take your course, honestly, because I love giving anesthetic. And I don't, when you're in school, you learn all these things, but then you get out to the real world, as you know, it's a little bit different. And sometimes you you kind of fake it or you do your best or you make it your own ways and it works, you know, it works great. But knowing, even going back and knowing these things that you forget because you don't do them all the time, like the gal right. gates and things like that too, would be great for a refresher course. For right, for okay. sure. Or if you're like, why isn't, this, why isn't this patient getting numb? And you're like, oh, wait, that's right. I remember learning about, you know, the gal gates or the vasoraziacanosis or, oh, that mylohyoid nerve sometimes that comes up and we'll get that mandibular first premolar, first molar. I don't know why I said premolar, but that mandibular first molar, like, kind of having those things re remind you like you learn those when you're in school but with anything if you don't use it it I don't want to say you lose it because it's always back there but it becomes very muted or you don't you're not confident right do you teach different um, techniques and also uh, new products that might be on the market like Orchix or anything like that or what what's all involved uh, in the course? yes so the way that the course is set up is uh, you can you know buy it as a bundle and the part one is all about maxillary injections and I go through and review all of the anatomy like the bones nerves and vessels that you would need to be aware of for the injections and then I deep dive into each injection itself uh, showing pictures talking about angulations and then I have for almost every single injection uh, a video that accompanies it 
where I'm queuing it along and, and posting and, and commenting about some of those reminders. And then there's, uh, so that's where the, there's maxillary mandibular injections are just like that. Uh, and it is pretty much all of the common injections. Uh, we go, I go through the ASA, MSA, PSA, the infraorbital, the three palatal injections, you know, nasopalatine, uh, greater palatine, and then the AMSA, which a lot of people, depending upon when they learned, haven't, didn't learn it because it's really only been around in the educational system for about 10 years. And there's some oral surgeons that don't know it either. I'm going to tell you this. I know I'm totally squirreling right now, but several years ago, Salem was a host of Mission of Mercy. And so my hygiene students were able to provide the anesthesia for all of the oral surgery patients, which was a phenomenal experience. And when I was talking with the head oral surgeons that were overseeing that, you know, because they're the ones, you know, we're getting the patients numb for them, was talking to him about that injection. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. He had never heard of that injection before. So it was actually really fun to teach him about that injection and have him kind of go, oh, wow, this is, this is cool. And being able to do that. So that is yes. AMSA? AMSA, anterior, middle, superior, oh, alveolar. ASA and then the MSA, right? Or PSA. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, so I graduated over 10 years ago. But uh, yeah, so that might have been right afterwards. Yeah, so you have your PSA, which takes care of the molars, and then your MSA, which is like the premolars, and then the ASA, which is your anterior teeth, but that's all on the facial. It takes care of the facial stuff. But the cool thing about the AMSA, which is a palatal injection, that one is a palatal approach, but it takes care of the palatal tissue plus the premolars and the uh, anterior teeth and the facial gingiva, but oh. it doesn't impact the lips. Wow. Yeah. Which is really cool for aesthetic dentistry. If you have a patient that needs scaling and root planing and they have to go to a meeting afterwards and they still want to be able to have lip function or they have lunch, they can they can still have that. Well, I'd never heard of it. So doctors can take your course in, in the front office assistance. Anybody's able to take your course. doesn't mean they and, can do aesthetic, but the practice might want to consider having the whole team to educate themselves. And Everybody can take the course, and I try to use very simple, plain terminology. I had one person re, uh, submit a, a course review and said it read like a children's book, easy to listen to, and I can do it over and over and over again. And at first, I was like, oh, what? I was kind of offended at first, but then I realized, no, that's a compliment <laughs> because it made it so that way she was able to hear the information and retain it. So, yes. you know, I think that's pretty awesome. Sometimes just those big fancy words are what scare us or we don't right. think we know what we're talking about because we don't know, you know, there's so many terminology. And then when you talk to your patients, trying to break that terminology into layman's terms, it's, it's hard to do. So that's great that you're able to do that and you have to when you're teaching. Oh, you definitely have to. And, and I think that um, I know I'm one of those people where when I'm in a course and somebody's using all of this dental terminology, I get lost in feeling bad about myself for going, I know I learned this, but I don't remember what it is and kind of beating myself up for not being able to recall that information right away instead of listening for what I'm actually supposed to be learning for. And my hope is to be able to sidestep that and be able to have people go, okay, this is, this is what I'm actually learning and not having to worry about all of the yeah. big major technical terms. I love it. I, I do use them, but I also then follow up with the 
an analogy or an easy to process word to go along with it. Yeah, and then the, the third part of the course is all about anesthetic dosaging, the types of anesthetics, uh, complications that might happen, you know, how do we change our anesthetic delivery for our elderly patients or for our pregnant patients or for our kiddos, so those types of things. And what about the wand? Do you teach anything on that or is that? Um, I don't specifically, I mention it, I talk about it, but um, I don't like dive deep into that. I just say, oh, there's a wand that you can use. And because there's so many different manufacturers out there that have their own kind of different tweaks to things. So. Right, right. And you can't include everything. That would be a whole different course on how to use. Yeah, maybe you gave me another idea, huh? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I would love that too. <laughs> Tina, where would we find your course? So um, my website is teachertinardh.com. So that's pretty easy, teachertina, T-I-N-A-R-D-H.com. But I'm not a preschooler. <laughs> but uh, that is uh, on there. There's a link that goes to my courses, and that'll take you to the learning platform. Because I have to have a learning platform, and you can take the course. And you do get a certificate of completion that is time-stamped with how many hours you were in that course as well. Does it include CE credits at all? Right, so each state has their own uh, requirements for CE and what counts as CE. So I always encourage all the participants to look at what their state requirements are. However, because of the beautiful events of 2020 and the need for virtual courses has risen, a lot of states have put in information about a continuing education course that is online counts if there's interaction with the instructor. And I have set everything up so that way uh, you can have interaction with me. It may not be immediate, like within five minutes, but anytime you have a question or a comment or want follow-up, I have processes in place where you have a discussion board in the course and you get a response back within, for sure, 24 hours, but it's usually closer to 12. Now, do you have a limit on your class size? No, no limit on the class size. Um, it is 100% independent, so you can log in and take it. You can choose to come in and take it at 6 a.m. and pause it and come back the next day at 6 p.m. Uh, you have a one-year access to the course, so even after you've completed the course, you can still go back and review the information. And anybody that signs up for the course, if there's new information that's come my way since I have recorded it, I put that up there and then I send all of the students saying, here's some new updates for your information. Okay, so you get a year's worth of updates as well. Yeah, yeah, nice. yeah. And I think it's reasonably priced too, so. Do you wanna tell us the price? Well, sure, yeah. Uh, no. Right now, as of this, as of the recording of today, it's $75 for all three courses. And it's about four and a half hours worth of, or four hours of, of continuing education. That is a great price, for sure. Yeah. What a great benefit. I think so, I think so. And you know, I have uh, other courses on there too, uh, like a head and neck anatomy course that's geared towards understanding head and neck anatomy and how it relates to the intra and extra oral examination, which is another thing I think dental assistants should be highly educated in and should be encouraged to do on a regular basis. Did you guys learn that in school, April? A lot of head, a lot of head and neck anatomy? Well, I, um, my coursework, we had a whole semester on it. Um, and in my teachings, we maybe work on it for like a week. Um, 
in my personal opinion, I think it should be at least the semester like I took. It was pretty in-depth, and it, we got taught by an oral surgeon. There's a lot of information. That was a really, I thought it was going to be really easy for some mm -hmm. reason. I was like, oh, it's head and neck. Like, yeah. Neck. It was oh, so much to learn. So much. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, coloring, all those. Yes. Oh, yeah. oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 Now, if only our patients were really that easy to be color coded like that, right? When they walk in. Right, exactly. You're like, excuse me. <laughs> we're all wired the same, but yet we're not. So there's always one. You don't know that until so, so you find out. Excuse me. I just need to take a look for your note here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are you finding that after they graduate and looking for the new job that? they need some mentoring, even if they're in their first job. Oh, yeah, for sure. There is, it's, it's scary, right? I don't think, I don't think it really matters where you're at in your career, but it is very scary going from the safety of your learning environment out into the kind of big world of getting paid for what you're doing. So on a regular basis, you know, I'll get text messages like at 11 o'clock at night from students or from friends that are going, Tina, do you have any advice on dot, dot, dot? And it's sad. I think it's sad, but it's good at the same time that school systems don't have enough time to incorporate that into their learning process. Like they kind of start on it a little bit. But, you know, to be able to have a resource, a trusted resource from somebody that's been out in the field for a while, who has done it for a while, to say, hey, can you be a sounding board or how can I be uh, the top candidate for this position? What would be the best way to present myself for this type of a thing? And to have somebody that will tell you that it's okay, your anxiety is real and it's, it's okay, but this is how we work through it and how you go through the process. So April and I have been gathering funny stories from dental professionals about um, what that either happened to you or patients or anybody in the dental practice. And so do you have a good story you can share with us? Tina? <laughs> yeah. You know, um, this is something I actually share with any of my students when they feel like uh, they're probably have like really messed up or anything like that, or that a day can't get any worse. But um, when, when I was pregnant with my son, I, you know, I was you know, gigantic, you know, think of a you know, belly straight out to, you know, all the way out like I felt like I was five feet wide instead of five feet tall so um but I'm working along and and uh instrumenting and all of a sudden I hear this little noise it goes and I just kind of went oh goodness gracious and tried to play it off that my chair squeaked when I actually farted and then all of a sudden wearing my mask I could smell it through my mask and I just kept going along and I'm like, we're just going to do a little rinse inspection. And it was stone cold quiet in there for the Nasty. rest of the appointment. Oh yeah. And oh. a little smelly too, but I was so mortified, but I mean, I had zero control over my body because I'm pregnant and you know, my little guy, he was like tumble sauces in there. And, and you know, I figure if, if you can survive farting by somebody's nose accidentally, like you can survive anything. Right. Like there's, it's, it's gotta be okay. Did that patient ever come back? You know, I really blocked it. <laughs> put them in their hygienist schedule. You're like, oh. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, I, I just, it was, 
I was so mortified through that moment. I can't even remember who the patient was. I just remember like the temperature in the room went up 20,000 degrees and I was bright red and just was like, I just pretend that nothing happened. And even though, I mean, it was like, it felt like it was searing my nostrils to sense. So I just can't imagine that. And you even had your mask on and oh my gosh. Right? <laughs> she turned the friction on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You know, thank goodness now for the room HEPA filters that we have in place, right? <laughs> yes. But 18 years ago, that wasn't there. <laughs> that is a good story. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Everybody likes a good, um, relatable story. Right. Good fart nothing, story. nothing like a fart story. Right. <laughs> to really lighten things up. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. This might be all afternoon. I'm telling you, I would be totally blitzed. So let me see, shake it. Let's see how much beer you have left in there. Oh, Looks empty oh, to me. It's a. Oh. It's a Are you laying on the floor? No. I, I, <laughs> on the floor. I just spilled some on my arm. Uh huh. <laughs> I'm taking really small sips. I have a reputation of cold. You know. Thank you, Teacher Tina, for being our guest on episode 18 of the Dental Elements podcast. For more information about Tina's course, hit me with your best shot. Go to her website, teachertinardh.com. And don't forget all of you newer grads out there to find us on rootyouon.com. Take me to the place where